I went to the Kroger to pick up some odds and ends for Anna. And as I was walking out of the Kroger, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle are walking in. And uh, without skipping a beat, for whatever reason, I'm not sure who said this. I don't think it was me. But what came out of my mouth was, ooh, hey, fellas. Like like you were, they had just come to port like sailors and you were like a lady of the night or something. You, you boys, you, you boys just in here for the night? Welcome to Chapel Belker, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And I am back. My yeah. teeth have been removed. My wisdom has been taken, which is purely evident from the mishap that we experienced <laughs> earlier this week. Oh, shots uh, fired we, at your place. Shots, <laughs> shots fired at my own face. Yeah, we. Uh, Nathan kind of um, hinted about it on our Twitter that uh, Monday we recorded. We recorded, in our opinion, some of the best episodes we've ever made. And it turns out that we recorded them on my webcam mic. So, womp, womp. Womp, womp. So that's a thing. Um, and so we've been trying to find time to re-record, and here we are. So we're recording now, and this will be out to you as soon as we can. Like, literally, if we can get this done tonight, we will release it at, like, 11 on a wednesday and yeah, then i'll just keep i'll just keep like resending it out via twitter and facebook and all that i really wish we could do like a live show <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be uh, nice but yeah i know that um so I, I recently found out which i guess this makes me a bad podcaster that aaron murray and drew butler have the punt and pass podcast and i had no idea yeah um and they're doing a live show i think it's sweetwater this friday which is pretty yeah. cool but they've also been releasing episodes every day this week which is i think is yeah pretty a little overkill aaron calm down here it's impressive though yeah somebody on somebody on twitter was like oh you guys have been waiting since last saturday and punt and pass podcast should all do stuff together and i was just like yeah sure we will but like why would they do it with us like two people listen to this podcast (laughs) not true lots of people watch this podcast well none of them watch it justin they all just listen hey it's all up to them beauty (laughs) is in the eye of the beholder or something podcast in the eye of the beholder i don't know um Anyway, so today's episode, what we're going to do is we're going to go over the Georgia Tech game, which you so rightly deserve for us to do. Uh, We're going to go over our predictions, our overs and unders. Well, actually, Nathan and Ryan's over and unders and their predictions, because I was not here. And then we're going to kind of review the, or preview, excuse me, the championship game. Without further ado, I guess, let's get started. Yeah, let's make it happen. So, um, how was your, let's see, Um, I know you... Were a little bit. I? You were in. You were a little bit out of uh, out of sorts when you were watching this game, yeah, because you were getting ready for for work. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we had. I was at the brewery again, as I often am, and um, it, I was just really. We were. I got really spoiled with these uh, these three thirty and six o'clock kickoffs, or these just late day click kickoffs, essentially. So um, twelve o'clock is a weird time for football, is what I realized. This season has been a tough time for. Um, for a noon game so by the time we actually opened at work the game was already you know a quarter of the way through and so it was a little weird but really uh what you had actually said in our previous recording of this was that it really didn't matter all that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> this gt game was 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 an okay game um and but i really it, it, was, it wasn't yeah, really you know, particularly competitive no it wasn't particularly competitive it wasn't all that exciting i mean we got back to what we're good at and that's really great we saw that in the kentucky game though so it wasn't anything surprising necessarily mm-hmm. but 
it's an all right game. Um, I did get to watch the Auburn Alabama game, which was really silly. I, I really enjoyed that one. I felt like that was more entertaining than the UGA game, especially, yeah, uh, yeah way, way more entertaining. Um, especially the, it might be a little late for everybody to remember now, but there was this ridiculous set of downs in the fourth quarter as Alabama was trying to, to get back, um, back into sorts and kind of find some momentum and get something together but it just didn't work out where in third down the center whiffed the snap and then there was a a miss snap immediately after that on fourth down and um just flew like flung the ball way past the the quarterback damian harris was back there like clapping for whatever reason the second time through Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't really do anything good Um, that's not a good 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 day you know good time to clap at all (laughs) um so my you know we're kind of talking about our general experiences here our, yeah. um the experiential side of this um my day was pretty good uh you know the <laughs> the one of the interesting things about the georgia tech away game for the redcoats is that you always just get so much food um you meet at, we meet at greater atlanta christian and practice and then at eight we have lunch which is panera which was really good at 8 a.m and then um after the game at like three you have <laughs> second lunch i guess which is two chick-fil-a sandwiches and just like as many chips and snacks as you can eat basically um so that that side of it was good um even though you know i'm just slowly gaining weight back or whatever um (laughs) but the uh you know the game itself i thought was i mean i have i definitely i certainly have some things to say about it um but you know i don't you know, like you said, it, w- it was not particularly, there was a couple of tight moments. You know, I was a little frustrated by Georgia Tech's only touchdown, like uh, champagne problems, I know, but we had one <laughs> blown coverage. Um, but other than that, like it just, there really wasn't a lot that went on. I mean, we just kind of beat the, we beat the crap out of them. And uh, it was one of those games where we didn't do anything fancy and neither did they really. And they just ran the ball a lot with mediocre amounts of success and then we just had better players. And, you know, that was kind of what it came down to. You know, I think in some ways, offensively, it was a pretty boring day for both teams. I thought defensively that we looked really good. Uh, but we can get to, we can get into that more as we go forward. But, um, you know, the only other note I wanted to say was that we had uh, a little bit of an incident in the band where just... How can I say this? If you are a Georgia fan... <laughs> And you are interacting with any other Georgia fan, whether they be in the band or whether they be just a random fan. Uh, be respectful. I, I don't. I mean, I don't even know why I have to say this. Like, it, it makes me feel like I'm talking to my freshman. Like, how a grown man could see the band and behave in a totally inappropriate way is just beyond me. Like, mm-hmm. it, that's, it's not that hard, right? When you're in your when you're in your freaking 50s, it should not be that hard to be around people and comport yourself in such a way that doesn't almost get you arrested. Like, I, I'm Ooh. just I'm befuddled by, like, uh, the lack of foresight and judgment on this person's um, part, you know? Uh, uh, that's all I want to say. But, like, let's, let's, let's not besmirch what we're trying to build here as a fan base by just acting like fools. You know what I mean? And yeah. I and I don't even this wasn't even a sidewalk fan. We can't even blame that on like, oh, they didn't go to the school. Like I'm I'm fairly certain this guy was an alumni. Um uh, he just was not behaving well, you know? So you as gotta a, as a human should, as a person yeah. should treat another person. Yeah, exactly. Um But other than that, you know, that, that sort of cast a pall on the last little bit of the game. But other than that, you know, it was a really fun time. Um it, it's always nice to see Tech's band. They've they've gotten 
they've really, really improved recently, and they are a very good band now. And, you know, it's always nice to play around another band. Uh, the Redcoats tend to play better. And, you know, it's always good to see other people practicing the art. Um, but, yeah, that's all about I got uh, exponentially. You want to talk about some stats? Let's talk about some stats. Let's talk about why we won this game. So. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, you know, <coughs> since we're, since we're going to combine these two podcasts, basically, uh, when we talk about these stats, we're going to kind of like, I think a lot of the stats that we're about to talk about really are going to key into what we're going to talk about in terms of our Auburn preview here in a minute, pretty uh-huh. well. So, um, you know, bear with us and let's get through these. Cause I think they really set up what we're about to talk about with the Auburn preview very well. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, so like, why did we win this game? Well, Georgia tech had a 30% rushing success rate. Uh, DeAndre Walker and Raquan Smith looked really, really good. Uh, they were striking people. They were getting off blocks. I thought J.R. Reed has had a couple of off games, and the Georgia Tech game, he got a little bit closer to where he had been at the end of the year, um, or at the beginning of the year. We had, you know, through the first five or six games, we were really rotating J.R. Reed down into the box, and he was just really striking people cleanly a lot. And there were a couple of games where he just did, hasn't done that the last two or three games, uh, even mm-hmm. before Auburn. And I thought that George, I thought that at the Tech game, he did a very good job of that. And that has a lot to do with that 30% rushing success rate. Um, which, just to be clear, success rate is um, how close you are to getting either 25, 50, or 75% of your yards that you need on first, second, and third down. 24% standard down success rate for Georgia Tech combined with 30% rushing success rate. I mean, that we this keys into what we were talking about in the preview that you know if you can if you can keep georgia tech off of being efficient and they're not getting four yards a pop which they weren't um then that's pretty much the game and that's what happens they mm-hmm. had we had 76 percent success rate we had 90 percent success rate in the second quarter um you know 90 percent success rate that's yeah. absurd that's the highest uh success rate we had of any quarter of of any stat the entire year which is fantastic yeah, yeah. so i mean this was a game where and you know i i, I think a lot of this is just that we kind of got back to what we do, which is we just kind of tried to play clean. And, you know, if we're going to have to do a little bit. We're going to have to be a little bit more exotic if we're going to beat Auburn. But the the number one thing we got to do to beat Auburn this time, and to, I don't want to spoil my own, you know, take here, but the, the number one thing we got to do is play clean. And, and we did. We played clean both in the sense that we didn't have a lot of dumb penalties and in the sense that, uh, you know, defensively you just saw guys flying around people weren't getting eaten up by the trash people weren't getting their legs cut people weren't just falling down or whatever and mm-hmm. we just looked a lot cleaner um we had nine we havoc didn't take plays. a lot of dumb risks either that's yeah thing. we didn't yeah yeah we had nine havoc plays which you know i know that makes you very happy it makes um, me very happy that's a good uga stat <laughs> yeah um a couple of ha- a couple of stats that make me do you want to do these two the, these these make me like short of breath i don't even know if i can get them out Absolutely. I did want to mention just real quick with that. Um, you did mention that Georgia Tech had a 31% rushing success rate. And I'm beginning to think there, there are just a few stats that really define whether or not a team's going to win and whether or not they're going to do well. And if they don't, um, if they're not above the national average or even around the national average, then you're, you're just not going to have a good time. And success rate is definitely one of those. It's It's very plain. It's in the name. It's success rate. But especially important for a triple option team, for them to have a decent rushing success rate uh, especially when your quarterback for instance had two completions out of nine attempts for 38 yards in the day um 31 just not going to get you there not going to get anywhere at all so we're doing all right <laughs> yeah we really really are um you know it's hard to take too much away from this game because we're just better than they are but uh you know to, you have to give you have to give uga credit for coming out there and just playing the way a team should when they are uh, a much more talented team 
Uh, 2.71 line yards per carry for Georgia Tech. Good God. Uh, and then 4.01 UG, uh, line yards per carry for UGA. Like, saying those two together, like, makes me pass out from, like, lack of blood flow to the head. Because um, <laughs> it's all in your legs. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. There it is. You know, that that just speaks to the total dominance in the trenches. That That's not a Raquan Smith thing. I mean, it is when he has a tackle for loss, but that's really not a Raquan Smith thing or a um, safety thing. That's just the front four playing really, really well. Getting off playing blocks. really well. Um, playing assignment football, which is what you have to do against Georgia Tech. I was very impressed. Also, the national average for line yards per carry is 2.91. So they were a little below, but we were well above, which is fantastic. Yeah, we were a full yard per carry above them, mm-hmm. um, above the average. You want to talk about stuff rate? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stuff rate feels real good right now. Georgia had a 7% stuff rate on the night, and uh-huh. Georgia Tech had 20%, which is the average. But 7% stuff rate. Just yeah. holy crap. So what that means statistically is that we we they had like one or two stuffs on the whole day. Um, the entire day. Yeah, you know, 7% of like 40 carries or whatever, like, mm-hmm. do the math out. Um, we had we had 60 plays, for, for instance. So, yeah, that's right above. Yeah. So like like eight, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, <clears throat> Georgia Tech averaged field position at twenty two. Now the national average is twenty nine point five. So that speaks well to our special teams and just like us getting them and flipping the field. Uh, we only punted twice, but so it didn't matter. They only had two scoring opportunities. We had nine. We both had nine drives. They had two scoring opportunities, and we had seven. Um. Oh, this one's crazy. Uh, uh DeAndre Sifts had twenty three point five highlight yards per opportunity. Whew. Yeah, which is the number of yards that you get past basically the the first five or six yards from mm-hmm. past your opportunity, which uh, rate, which is like five the first five yards. Um, so that's like you know when he was running for anything more than five, it was going for like thirty. Um, also, Sony just looked freaking fantastic all day. His stat line, oh, his absolutely. Advanced, his advanced stat lines, Sony Michelle's advanced stat line on the game is just uh, for this game was just freaking nuts. Um, hold on, let me pull it up real quick. And yeah, Sonny Michelle, 13 rushes, 85 yards, 6.54 yards per carry, 4.77 line yards per carry, opportunity rate of 62%, and highlight uh, highlight yards per opportunity for a, uh, of 2.88. So what that means is that like he was basically he was basically going to get you to second and five or second and four every time he touched the ball. Like that's that's really that's a really good day, especially he had a fantastic at, game. Yeah, especially with limited carries. I mean. You know, he carried the ball 13 times and he did that. Like, you got to, mm-hmm. that's, that's always, 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 always going to be good. Let, let's, let's talk about takeaways. Um, yeah. You got anything? I will say a, a couple takeaways after watching from that, that day was um, we're on the way to having a very good from. We've talked about this com- like the entire season. Of course, he's been a huge topic of conversation. I know that I kind of go back and forth on from. I've never given up on him, but I've never been 100% sold on him. Uh-huh. I know I've said saying that uh, some things that sound like that. And I think that uh, next year he's going to kind of come into his own kind of over the off season, and he's going to start really, really well in his sophomore year. But all that to say, there were a few times this game that I think, one, a few of his throws would have been interceptions had they been in the Auburn game. Yeah, and the then, first couple that he had, for sure. Yeah, they looked a little wobbly, looked a little weird. He was thrown into weird coverage, and he would not have got away with that had it not been the 70th ranked team. Yeah, he um, would have been in trouble, for sure. Yeah, he really would have been in trouble. And there were other times where... Well, you know, it does feel kind of like Fromm has this, like, get it out of his system interception. 
So I'm mm-hmm. glad that that get it out of your system interception in the first quarter has turned into get it out of your system bad throw. So now if you yeah. can just turn that into just start the game playing well, um, that would be good. Yeah, That'd that would be, be really good. Fantastic. That was uh, the Kentucky game. There was a get out of your system interception in the first quarter where he just kind of threw it to the guy like he was on our team and is very odd. Um, I, I'd like to see that. And another takeaway would be um, I really just want to see this defense have the same amount of havoc plays and tackles for loss and sacks for the rest of the season um because that last auburn game it the stats line looked for auburn the way it has for us us, against any other team that hasn't been auburn um so just looking at this georgia tech stats line for the defense it looks the same as it has all year except for that one auburn game so yeah well you know i think i think you're right um a couple of takeaways for me we run the state obviously so it's almost like i don't want to be too angry at them because like they don't deserve my attention but on the, at the same time you know it feels good um it does i thought that like you said that the defense played very cleanly they played very disciplined um i think one of the big things for auburn would be the emergence of deandre walker you know our outside linebackers are really really good but if hmm. you know they kind of had these complementary skill sets that got a little bit of exposure or got exposed a little bit against auburn because lorenzo carter is really fast he can run sideline from sideline He's strong, but he's a little lighter than, you know, your average, like, uh, strong side outside linebacker. So he got caught up on some of those left-to-right runs in, you know, he just got blocked down a couple of times because he's light. On the other hand, DeAndre Walker, or not DeAndre Walker, but um, Davin Bellamy is a bigger, tougher dude who can set the edge and make sure that, you know, nobody gets outside of him. But he didn't have Mm -hmm. the left-to-right quickness a lot of times to get after. Like, once he cleared his block, a lot of times he couldn't keep, uh, keep up with the streaking whoever was on the jet sweep basically. So I think DeAndre Walker is a good mix of both of those dudes. He might not be the pass rusher that either of those guys is, but I think, you know, having him on the strong side when they're just going to run that stupid jet sweep a thousand times is very, is going to be really good. Um, I thought Fromm looked really good at, towards the end of the game. And like you've said, I think he just needs to come into the beginning of this game doing that, or, you know, it's going to be trouble. Um, yeah. And then I think we're going to need the same level of discipline that we had in this game uh, against Auburn to win and that's yeah. that's easy to say but it's just like what we're going to need to do so and we'll talk about it a lot more when we get into Auburn yeah yeah so um have you got anything else for Georgia Tech yeah so another thing that actually happened that was a lot of fun and we're, we're going to try and recreate this magic um during our Georgia Tech recording earlier on Monday was our, our good friend Mark uh Ostrut messaged oh, us on yeah, Facebook he did. in we the have, midst we, of all of it and yeah, so we, we kind of have to say this we still have to say it. Yeah, we kind of read this out live. So um, as we were sitting there, Nathan was kind of talking about whatever Nathan talks about. And he's ranting about something or um, yeah. social justice worrying something. But anyway, in the midst of all that, I had to interrupt him because Mark messaged us and he said, okay, I was going to start by commenting about how many facets of the tech wreck you nailed in your preview. But instead, I would like to start with how you named Ryan Clark as your number one fan. That's among the first incorrect terms you've delivered. After I recovered from not being invited as a fill-in host, I listened to the balance of the preview. On the money, as usual. Listening to your podcast is like knowing the score before you watch the game on the DVR. Amazing work, gentlemen. Oh, Mark, um, you're such a sweetheart. I like Mark. And then you guys kind of went on after that to to kind of make a few jokes and kind of talk about the coaching carousel, which we can kind of talk about to yeah, I break mean, up we, these two games. We can get into it a little bit. I mean, so... Let's just go. It's been silly. Let's avoid. Yeah, let, let's let's avoid the tire fire and just talk about the like before we talk about the uh, the East Tennessee tire fire, the the dumpster fire that has engulfed 
basically from Chattanooga all the way over to Asheville. Um, I think we got to talk about it a little bit because we all know that well, Lane well, Kiffin's I mean, a listener. We, <laughs> no, I mean, we have to talk about it, but let, let, let's do that last. Let's do everything else. First. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so um, uh, this weekend, as he walks off the field, Brett Bielema gets fired. Yeah. Um, then, who else? Did anyone else in the SEC lose? Kevin Sumlin also immediately. Kevin after, Sumlin got fired. Not immediately as he walked off the field, but a little bit later, Kevin Sumlin gets fired. So mm-hmm. um, on Sunday, you get Dan Mullen goes from Mississippi State to <sighs> Florida. And I really like Dan Mullen. Yeah, I know. That's a I really do. good hire. It's a really, really good hire. I, I think he's going to do good things. Uh, but the good yeah. news is Dan Mullen has also announced that he's bringing Todd Grantham to Florida, which is that bodes well for our scores going forward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then you have Dan Mullen goes to Florida. Then you have, um, let's see, what other moves happened? Wait, Tennessee did. There were some Tennessee, rumors that Tennessee made So there were offer. some rumors. So, okay, okay. Well, we're, we're, yeah, Tennessee had offered Dan Mullen, but then they... They basically didn't move fast enough because Dan Mullen was only available because Florida first had asked Chip Kelly and then had asked Scott Frost. So Dan yeah. Mullen was like a very good third choice for Florida, which is weird because I think he might have actually been their best choice, but whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then um, that's all like your that was like, I think if nothing else had happened, that would have been a pretty crazy level of coaching carousel for the weekend. So we later since then have found out that Joe Moorhead from um, Penn state has taken the Mississippi state job, which I think is a very good move. Joe Moorhead is a very creative offensive coordinator. Uh, the only question is just going to be like how he recruits uh, down Mississippi, but Hey, whatever. So, um, so let's talk about Tennessee. So Sunday, Tennessee, leaks and basically several major writers find out that Tennessee has signed a memorandum of understanding, which is basically just like the pre-contract before you work out the contract mm-hmm. with Greg Schiano, the defensive coordinator at Ohio state. Greg Schiano was last seen in the football world, uh, taking uh, Rutgers to an over 500 record, which is very impressive. He won nine games with Rutgers and then kind of washing out in the NFL at Tampa Bay. So that happens. And then all hell breaks loose oh yeah so can you want to take it from there no 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 please go ahead i'm waiting for you I, I was hoping your blood would be boiling by this point but i don't think really think there's anything that's that's super personal for you yeah i know it's like it made me upset but like <clears throat> i mean this part makes me upset but we'll go into it so then tennessee's fan base as they are wont to do just flips the f out over this just oh yeah going crazy now okay so here's the part that i am mad about clay travis who is basically just like the sports version of Breitbart. I hate him so much. Um, (laughs) Clay Travis just straight up is like, uh, well, you guys need to just complain until he gets fired. And then that's kind of what happened. Now I'm of two minds on this because so basically Tennessee's fan base freaks out. A lot of them kind of, I, I think the real complaint they had was that he didn't, you know, he only was one game over 500 at Tennessee and then are at uh, Rutgers. And then also he, he actually lost to Butch Jones's Cincinnati, like 60 to 30 or something. Jeez. Um, yeah. So there they had, those were their on-field complaints, which I think the real problem that they had, but what they said it was about was that there was this like hearsay testimony that came out that was secondhand hearsay. So it was like, one of the guys at Penn State had said that another guy had told him that that Greg Schiano had told this guy that he saw something happen with Jerry Sandusky and didn't say anything about it. Yeah. Now, that's obviously not that you know. Since then, that that story came out in 2016, and a lot of reporting went into basically debunking, debunking it. It that didn't hold up in court, and it didn't really 
go anywhere and both of them denied it and uh urban meyer and greg shiano came out and said hey we investigated this and ohio state came out and said we investigated this like there's nothing to it so tennessee fans seize on that and they you know they have this big dumb rock and they're like we don't want to support a so we, we don't want to coach who supports child rapists which you know isn't what was happening their real problem was that they didn't want a coach they thought was bad now yep. here's the thing i think it's fine because i do think greg shiano is the same kind of dumb mean like good football coach but a bad personality who would just make tennessee's already toxic culture and their athletic department even worse but um you know obviously i think clay travis stirring that up like some kind of russian breitbart troll is really annoying so then we're sitting here that's that all happens sunday and monday so then Mm -hmm. tuesday it's announced that well it leaks that tennessee is going after mike gundy at um, oklahoma that's the one i was thinking of yeah so then mike gundy gets he he has a seven million dollar offer on the table he gets paid about four right now okay he gets he has an offer to go to a better conference near a more a more fertile recruiting gown now to be Mm. fair ohio you know oklahoma state is his alma mater but he has basically a better offer on the table and he turns it down without trying to get more money from oklahoma state that is the ultimate that's the ultimate irony he didn't even get a raise at oklahoma state he just said "Eh, you know what no thanks and then good (laughs) and then even before he did that uh, David Cutcliffe, the coach at Duke, turned down Tennessee to go back to Tennessee, where he was the offensive coordinator for Ma- Peyton Manning, and that Jeez. is just freaking hilarious. Actual garbage fire. Yeah. Actual garbage fire. I'm not even sure who they're going to get at this point. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, you, know, you know, we're going to find out in a couple more games who's not going to no. be where they they are now. But we'll see. I guess. I mean, at the end of the day, though, I kind of feel like at this point, if they just took a dumpster and put it in front of their <laughs> um, and put it in front of their athletic department building and lit it on fire, that that dumpster might produce a more viable coaching candidate than Jim Curry seems to be able to. I mean, Jim Curry, their AD, he looks like he's going to, like, get fired. <laughs> like, Jeez. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty interested to see, but it, I think the best thing that's come out of this entire weekend and this crazy Tennessee dumpster fire has just been the Lane Kiffin memes and how hilarious yeah. Lane Kiffin is. Lane Kiffin with... has been trolling. He is so funny. Yeah, he's been trolling the guy. He's been trolling Tennessee this whole entire time, and it's amazing. Oh, God. I know that um, I, I read an article the other day that Lane Kiffin came into the locker room. He said he was late because he had a meeting. He was having a meeting with Tennessee. He was on the phone with them, like the the football team in the locker room at FAU. Um, what else did I see? I saw a meme the other day that was uh, just talking about the dumpster fire, and still Lane Kiffin sits by his phone. Well, someone said, well, someone painted the rock and it said the, the big dumb rock and they painted it and it said, uh, bring Lane home. And then Lane Kiffin, <laughs> Lane Kiffin, the master troll he is, retweeted that picture and was like, y'all don't want me to come home. And it was just like, y'all don't oh, God, this. God bless you, Lane Kiffin, you beautiful boy. You beautiful boy. Well, anyway, <laughs> now that we've been on this topic for quite some time, I guess we yeah. can continue to, to kind of move forward yeah. into so our Auburn game. Let's talk game. about the Auburn game. So. Um, we already, I, I feel like, you know, this is, we're kind of in a situation where familiarity breeds contempt because we've already just, we've, we've previewed the crap out of Auburn. And I think that if you want to hear all of the statistical things about Auburn, those are still true, but I, I, you know, we, we're going to hit a few stats here and there, but I think our main focus on this preview is we're just going to talk about, you know, how, what, what can we take from the history and the statistics of this game of the last game and how can we kind of construct a model for predicting what will happen in the next game so yes uh, um before we do that i'm going to kick my cat out of this room 
because she is being really <laughs> annoying. So hold on. Alrighty. Hey there, Chapel Bell Curve listeners. Justin and Nathan here trying something a little bit different this episode with a special announcement. Uh, I think it's pretty perfect that we're going to do this in this big old megazode where we put a little ad break in there. We've talked about this in previous episodes, though, and I, I hope you've heard it in our voices and seen it in our dedication through making this show this season. But we really love making Chapel Bell Curve. It's been an awesome ride. And thanks to all of you, we can't wait to keep what we're doing happening for as long as we can do it, really. Uh, we say all this because the off-season is swiftly approaching us, and we've been discussing what to do with that time, and to answer that question, we'll keep doing what we've been doing. We'll probably take a week off or something, and we might pare it down to an episode a week, and we'll just keep making you know deep dives into stats all off-season, talking about recruiting, um, UGA, and other college football happenings. I'm sure there'll be plenty of coaching carousel moments, but um, you can still enjoy us every week as you have been. Uh, as long as wisdom teeth or work or other life events don't get in the way. Um, but all that to say, also, we wanted to announce another thing we got going on. We're going to be launching a Patreon account. And for those of you that are not aware of what a Patreon is, Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easier for artists and creators like us to get support from those that enjoy our work on a regular basis. It basically gives all of you opportunities to contribute, if you so choose, to our continued success here at Chapel Belker. This could give us opportunities such as uh, building capital to buy t-shirts because we need t-shirts in the first place in order to sell them to you. And so that would be a great opportunity for us to get those to you guys um, because Nathan's a teacher and I live in Athens. Um, As you all know, we are not the richest people on earth. Um, What do you got to say, Nathan? (laughs) Well, I mean, here's the thing. And and everything you just said is 100% true, but I do want to give sort of some context for our philosophy here. Our philosophy is if we don't get any money from this, we're still going to keep doing it. And I know the reaction might be like, well, then why do you need the money? And the, and, and the honest answer is we don't, but we're both in a place financially where we would be a lot more comfortable if we didn't have to pay for overhead for this show. Um, and we are not going to hard sell you. We are not going to be on here every day asking you to get on Patreon. We're probably going to talk about this a couple more times, especially if we're going to recognize people who do it, et cetera, et cetera. But we're not going to hard sell you. And if you don't or you can't, like, I know there are a lot of college students who listen to this. Like, don't. Don't do it. Like, don't spend money you don't have on us, right? We'll we'll survive if we have to. Uh, really, our jo- our only goal for this show in its current form is to just break even, right? It, full disclosure, it costs mm-hmm. us, like, what? 30 bucks a month to make this show right so if yeah. we're just getting Not enough money that we can start <laughs> saving up to just yeah well yeah if you if you just want to talk about like pure overhead it's not that much so if, we're, if we can just get enough from you no. guys to just like save up some and not have to pay for hosting costs or upgrade our equipment or you know we have some database projects on the horizon we're going to start trying to like catalog and categorize database you know anything that we can do that will make it more comfortable for us will help us out and you know the future mm-hmm. of the show is not riding on this and i'm and i'm not trying i'm not trying to tell you not to do this but what i'm trying to get across is like our commitment to this show is such that the money doesn't matter we're asking you for this money because we think that patreon is a really good a really good way for you to connect with us and for us to connect with you um and you know just because it would really help us if we can get that going um the only other thing i want to say is that you know we've talked about a lot of different reward tiers we've thought about like you know, one of the first things we'll definitely do for people who pledge is send out the uncensored rant rant roll, 
uh send out all of the b-roll oh, yeah. that doesn't make it send out just all the stuff of me yelling like if you just want to hear if you want to hear raw uncensored nathan like now's your time we'll probably do some bonus content um you know eventually once we get this rolling either we get the overhead from patreon or we just buckle down and pay for it ourselves we'll have shirts if you want to buy those you know we'll have all sorts of different war tiers but i think you know starting out we're going to keep it simple um we're just going to give you a little bit of bonus content and we're gonna make the first pledge tier like a dollar a month like very very simple very very easy if you want to throw something our way feel free to if you can't or don't want to that's all right too we love you all i tell all my students i don't have a favorite student every student is my favorite student and that's how i feel about all of our loyal (laughs) listeners and so without further ado i guess since this is going to be like an ad break um back to the episode enjoy the rest Let's start. Let's talk about this. So okay. um, I've got a couple of just, I've actually got some historical notes this time, um, which is, yeah. I know this is usually your job, but I actually looked a couple of things up. So I like um, it. So the Deep South Soldus rivalry, as the UJ Auburn rivalry is called, um, has never happened in the, in the 122 meetings so far. It's never happened in the SEC championship. This is the first time ever. Um, that's, really? We're, yeah. We're on meeting 123. Currently, Georgia leads the series 57, 56, and 8. So if Auburn wins this game, it is going to be a dead tie. So it will be 57, 57, and 8 ties. Um, you know, obviously, the longest win streak uh, in this was Georgia had nine wins from 1923 to 1931. This is the fourth or fifth longest rivalry in the nation. It is not the longest in a, um, uninterrupted rivalry because both of these teams did not have um, teams in 1942 and 1943 during the war. Um, <laughs> the war. Yeah. The war. World War Two. So, <laughs> although we, I did look up, uh, there are some other rivalries. Like the Harvard-Yale rivalry was actually interrupted by war twice. It's so old that it got interrupted by World War One and then again for World War Two. Like that's a pretty, that's a pretty impressive. That's a pretty impressive rivalry. That was um, really cool. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, uh, what else was going to say? Okay, yeah. So some historical context for the SEC championship. Um, unfortunately for us, uh, in a rematch, the the team that in, there have been six SEC championship rematches, and the team that won the first game is actually five and one in the rematch. The only win was when LSU beat Tennessee after losing to them, um, and I think was the 2010 season. Hold on. Uh, no, LSU beat Tucson t- uh, 2000, or Tennessee in the 2001 season. Wow, dyslexia is getting the best of me here. Um, <laughs> so that doesn't bode well for us. Um, you know, historically, uh, in rematches, there has been a slight bias for the team that lost the first time, but that hasn't been the case in this. I suspect that is because, you know, if you look at the sort of arc and sweep of the SEC, it has been very uncommon for there to be, um, to, for there to be, two teams in like a team in either of the divisions that are both like at the same level of good there you know the teams are very often very uneven in 2002 mm-hmm. when georgia played arkansas arkansas was way way worse than uh, georgia and was the best team in the west and that was actually when the west was way down instead of the east as it is now so um it's actually pretty rare to to see this game be even even um mm-hmm. you know there are some florida alabama rivalries uh in the mid aughts but other than that um this has been a this has been sort of a lopsided affair, um, generally speaking. But this is I mean, going to def- be probably the most even matchup we've had. 
I mean, I would say so. So if you look at the last few games, so Florida loses to Alabama 54-16 to in 2016. Florida mm-hmm. loses to Alabama 29-15 to in 2015. Alabama beats Missouri 42-13 to in 2014. Auburn meets Missouri 59-42 to in 2013. Jeez. Yeah, so you have to go all the way back to, what, 2012, the, yep. the year which shall not be named, um, mm-hmm. to see to see Georgia in the um, SC, or to see a close game in the national championship. Or, Which involved us. To see a close game in the SEC championship. Jesus, I'm sorry. But let's be real. That was the national championship that I year. mean, yeah, I said that, but really that's what it was. That's really yeah. what it was. Yeah. Right. Any team that won that game was going to beat that Notre Dame team. Oh, oh. And I've by any a, team, I mean Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've got a couple of other interesting tidbits. Um, the highest by Sag, or not Sagarin, by Nielsen ratings, the actual highest rated uh, matchup ever in this game was an 11.8, which is in 2009 when the number one over when the number one Florida Gators played the number two Alabama Crimson Tide, and Alabama won 32 to 13. If you'll re- recall, that sweet, beautiful moment was the Tebowing. <laughs> that was the first, oh, yes, the bet, the first and best documented instance of Tebowing. God, doesn't that feel why good? Is the, why is it the why is it the best though? <laughs> well, because. Well, because the, I'll tell you why it's the best. It's it was okay. the best because that was the most watched SEC championship game in the history of the game, and that was also the game that Tim Tebow cried. So that means oh, like the yeah. maximum number of people saw that horrible person cry. <laughs> that terrible, terrible boy. That terrible man. He's that he's, terrible T boy. Uh, Tim Tebow. If I if I were gonna just like make an emoji for him, it would just be the Tennessee trash can. Um, <laughs> the coach. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, like the turnover trash can. Um yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get into the let's get into the stats here. So um when we recorded this last time, uh, one of the things I thought that we were really astute to do was instead of trying to really get into the nitty-gritty of the stats like we usually do, um I think the most important thing to do is just take a little bit of a retrospective about you know, what does Georgia let's let's start with this. What does Georgia have to do to win this game? What do they have yeah. to do different, and what do they have to do similarly? Hopefully, think, not. Hopefully, there's not much similarly because not a lot was right. We don't want that to be the same thing. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Uh, touching on what we even said about the Georgia Tech game earlier is the way you win a game is success rate. It starts with success rate, and then from there you can break up what kind of success you're pulling from what kind of game you're 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 playing. Essentially, what plays you're calling, and then on the defensive side of the ball, how you're keeping the uh, you know the opposing team's success rate down. Um, or if you can't keep up with a success rate, then you have an explosive game and you have to manage to keep the other team's, you know, explosive game down. So that's kind of where we can start at, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so if, if we, if we do the painful look, uh, if we do the painful thing, which would be to look back into, uh, the advanced box score for, um, for that last game, you know, we can kind of start to break some of that out, right? So yeah. UGA had a 24% success rate, or sorry, UGA for the game had a 31% success rate. Mm-hmm. Um, they were 38% success rate in rushing, 24th in passing, 24% uh, success rate in passing, 42% in standard downs, and 14, 14% in pass downs. Ugh. Yeah, so, um, you know, what that really says is that I mean, 38 and 42 for rushing and standard downs are below the national average, but they're not actually that far below, right? So we were 38% rushing success rate. The average is 41. We were 42% standard success rate. The average is 46. The real aberration there is 24% passing success rate, which was uh, is the average is 40%, and then 14% 
passing down success rate where the average is 31%. Yeah. So what is what do those numbers tell us about what we need to do different? It tells us a good bit, really. Um, really, when we get into that third and fourth down situation and we're in a passing situation, we just need to connect. And I know that in that last game with the Auburn, there were a lot of missed throws. There were overthrows. There were throws in the coverage. There were throws that bounced off receivers' hands. It wasn't all Jake Fromm's fault. Yeah, there were. Um, I mean, the, the there was a Riley Ridley throw where he just basically fell down. It was yeah, looked like yeah. it was going to be a touchdown if he had just taken two more steps. Yeah, there were two. There were two yeah. of them. Um, there's a Ri- Riley Ridley and a Terry Godwin, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terry Godwin wide open in a space and hits his hands and he drops it. And Riley Ridley, like you said, just kind of falls over. So really, it starts with you have to make the plays you plan to make. I think that you talk about we have to live up to our game plan and we have to follow through in our game plan. And our game plan doesn't freaking matter if we can't execute it. So, yeah, that's I, I think that's a big, big portion of how you come back from that big loss. Yeah. And, and I think the whole your whole idea of game plan is a very important one. You know, um, a lot of the offensive play calling in that game kind of felt like we were running our head into a brick wall, mm-hmm. uh, which was definitely frustrating at the time. But, you know, I did. I went back and watched this because I hate myself and <laughs> you know I mean I think where there were certainly some things we could have done as as stuff starts to fall apart there were some things that we could have done that would have helped but I also think that you know at some point in the third and fourth quarter like the route's on and what do you do I mean we couldn't block them we couldn't yep. complete a pass you know what I mean so like what do you do when your offensive line just can't block there, there's just not a lot to be done and I think the flow of the game was such that it got a how to hand so quickly that we got in a very conservative play calling mode, which I think is the exact, I think we were trying to protect from, and I mm-hmm. think we were, we were trying to protect him from mistakes, but also just from like actually getting hurt. Yeah. But I think you have to try to create a game plan and we're going to talk about what that looks like, but you have to try to create a game plan that can be successful early and can take the pressure off of from. Um, and I think there's a couple of ways to do that, but I think that's gotta be, if you're Jim Tatey, that's gotta be your number one consideration. Which, if you look at the rest of our season, we've done that all season. We've come right. out of the gates with right. a great game plan, and we've had a, a great success rate per quarter in the first and the third quarter. Right, yeah. And, I mean, that we've talked about this several times. That one of the hallmarks of this team is that uh, both on offense and defense, on, in the first and third quarters, after they've had time to adjust, they look really good. And that was not yeah. the case, right? If we look not at, at the, all. If we look at success rate, that's kind of a rough approximation for SP Plus. But if we look at su- success rate by quarter uh, f- uh, for UGA, 53, that's fine. Uh, 13% in the second quarter, 21% in the third quarter, and 35% in quarter five, or quarter yeah. four. So, I mean, that w- that is not indicative of the way this team has played. Now, um, you know, I think the most simplistic explanation for all of this is that Auburn is just a very good team, and that certainly could be the case, but that's not really useful for us to talk about that. You know, I mean, that doesn't really help. It's just saying, like, mm. yeah, Auburn's good. Like, okay, sure. Yeah, they are. So, so w- the question is, what do you do about that? Yeah. Um, so, do you have... Let's see. What else do we need to see? So we need to have a better game plan. So what is that going to look like? I think when you touched on how we got into a very conservative play calling was was pretty important to look at because what this tells me is um, there is still hope because what it seems like is at a certain point, you start protecting the pieces you have. You don't start taking unnecessary risks because you have more games in the season. Even at the Auburn game, we knew it's not fun and it's not going to be easy and it's not very fun. To lose a game, especially to Auburn, especially to a team this good, especially when you're in the number one ranking, but we could afford it. 
yeah we, we knew have afforded we, it we fine. knew we were going to the sec championship we yeah. knew if we won out that we would still be in place probably you know you, you i'm not saying that they punted on this game but i am saying that there was less pressure there was less oomph and there was a lot less pressure especially yeah. since we needed all these pieces to do well <laughs> in the games that did matter down the line yeah absolutely so and so no, that just tells me there is still some hope for this Auburn game coming up this weekend. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, if we think about, so we've kind of talked in holistic places. So let, let's talk about the nitty gritty. Yeah. To me, I think the number one thing we got to do in this game is we have to, we have, you know, we, we talked about protecting Jake Fromm, but I actually think what that looks like, protecting Jake Fromm in this game looks like having Jake Fromm pass more. And I know that sounds, uh, that sounds backwards, but I think, one of the problems that we had was that our passing down success rate was specifically abysmal. So mm-hmm. we were getting in third and long and second and long and even fourth and long plays. And, you know, they were just pinning their ears back and coming after us. What we have to do is pass to not be in that situation because, you know, we, if we get into this pattern of run, run, pass, punt, we're, we're, we're toast. And yeah. that's all, that's always true. But I think it's especially true against a team that, when they know when to pin their ears back, Auburn can get after the quarterback. So we have to mm. come out. We have to hit. I'm thinking we need to hit more one-step drops. We need to have some pot plays. And then, you know, I think if we're looking at specific specific strategies, you know, I remember two years ago when um, Alabama won the championship. One of the things that was remarkable was that they, in the national championship game, O.J. Howard, who was this five-star tight end who had not gotten used at all, had like five catches and two touchdowns. So hmm. I think that that needs to be something we look at. Can we get the tight ends more involved? Can we run some drag routes? Can we run some naked bootlegs with a, a tight end in front of it? Can we run the flood concept with a tight end underneath? Can we run four verts with a tight end cross? Like anything we can do to get the tight end open over the field and start moving those linebackers behind the line of scrimmage because they had a lot of time to run diagonally and clean from five yards from the line of scrimmage to the line of scrimmage. They had a lot of time yeah. to do that because we weren't we weren't making them ever backpedal. And, you know, I think that's that's gonna be even more, you know, I mean obviously we're gonna win this game if we win this game with our running with the rush, with by running basically, but I think for us to even run effectively, we have to open the pass game up on the first and second downs. Um and then we just gotta run. I mean we we have to figure out a way to establish the run. That has to happen. Yeah, yeah, it can't just be the the up the middle, up the gut runs like yeah. we had it uh, with the the first Auburn game. And, it's and, not gonna, and I it's think not how we're gonna win. I think we have to take a page out of. So if you look at the evolution, wow, well, this is about to get wonky, but whatever. This is what you're here <laughs> for. So if you look at the evolution of the spread, right? Um, there's a lot of different play places that the spread comes from but one of the first big innovators in the spread was Hal mummy um he was at this tiny little college and then he was at kentucky um and in both places he had uh mike leach as his offensive coordinator and so basically mm-hmm. one of their concepts was um if you split your wide receivers way out if you don't have a very good offensive line and all you can get is a small quarterbacks and shifty fast wide receivers how do you run Right. Well, their answer was you put your wide receivers in really wide splits and then you throw behind the line of scrimmage to them. Or you put your wide receivers in really wide splits and you throw quick slants or you throw screens to the wide receivers. We have to get some of that kind of spread run game into this game. And, you know, there's a lot of times that you'll hear like when Texas Tech plays, they have plays that basically are their run game that are passes. Right. Mm -hmm. They'll throw behind the line. They'll throw quick passes. They'll throw hitches. They'll throw fast slants they'll do shovel passes inside anything we can do to get those to get the defensive line to turn their hips 
Um, and we do not have the offensive line right now to just run at this defensive front. We don't. Mm. And, and if I see that happen, if that happens after we've established the run and things are humming, that's fine. But we cannot come out of the gate the first series and do that. Thing, what am I looking for? That's kind of what yeah. I want to transition into. What am, when I watch this game, what am I looking for? The first thing is I'm looking for us to come out and not run into the middle of the line in the beginning of the game. Why? So, so why don't we run more bubble screens? Why don't we run any screens really I, i'm not sure i can't remember the last screen we ran this season well i mean okay so i don't know if that's really a big part of cheney's game a because i know you know that was always a big mark rick was sort of the mark rick was one of the premier bubble screen and one yeah. of the premier screen minds in the game um and also i think it's just been we haven't had to you know i mean how many games this year have we had to really get creative offensively even in the games that were we really tight, haven't yeah even in the games that we've had that were tight were defensive slugfests. So mm-hmm. this is not going to be one of those games. So this is going to be one of those games that I think we have the tools to win this game, but you know, we have to deploy them in a different way than we have all year. Yeah. Um, what, what, what are you looking for? Like when you're watching this game on Saturday, what are you looking for? I am looking for an offensive scheme that does not always rely on Jake Fromm in the passing downs. I definitely, and what I mean by that is I really want to mix up our play calling. I, I And you've already touched on it. I don't want to be the team that run runs past punt because that's an old Mike Bobo plan. Um, and that's why Mike Bobo is not here anymore. Um, and we know that. But okay, I, I, Matt, Mike Bobo is good. Come on, man. He's good. No, I think I know. But by the end of it, that right, was really know, I, very I don't predictable. Wanna, I don't want to relitigate this. Let's, let's move on. Okay, fine. Um, anyway, I just need to see a, a more mixed up offensive scheme. I, I want to see us relying on all of our tools, not just Jake Fromm, not just Nick Chubb, not just Sony Michelle. And I don't want us to just rely on our defense because at the end of that Auburn game, our defense for the very first time or the only time really all this season looked gassed. And I don't, I, that can't happen again. That can't happen. Um, besides that, I really just want to see a, a cleaner game. I want to see a game where we don't play emotionally. I don't want to see a game where we go out there for revenge necessarily. I don't want it to look like revenge anyway. And what I mean by that is I don't want it to be dirty. I don't want us to going for any personal fouls. And I just want it to be a good, clean football game. We go out there, play our game, play it well. And if we win, then we just walk off the field, you know, wave and leave. And that's it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is going to be a game. And this sounds stereotypical. And it is. This is this is the coldest of cold takes. But we're going to have to pull... You have to have the whole you have to have the whole playbook open for this game. Yeah, you know we talked at the beginning of the year like, hey, they're they're holding stuff back, they're holding stuff back. They haven't had to use all this stuff, and I think that's true. So this is the game that you do it right. If you don't win this game, it doesn't matter, right? Because yeah. you're only going to be holding stuff back through for an an Orange Bowl or something, which is like that's a great bowl, but it's not the national championship. This mm-hmm. has got to be the game where you give where everything is on the table when you're constructing your play your playbook um, defensively. You know, another thing I want to see defensively, you know, we, it's obvious that we have to avoid penalties, but we have to just, I thought one of the problems that the defense have was that they looked a little bit timid. Um, I said mm-hmm. when I, in our Auburn review that it looked like to me that they were waiting for the jump cut. They waited too much to try to corral uh, carry on Johnson and, and actually a lot of the ball carriers, they were waiting to corral them and wait for another guy come. And then uh, somebody, they would just jump cut and squirt forward for three or four yards. Those mm-hmm. sort of hidden yards in the, in, that the defense was giving up are killing us. We've got to form tackle. We've got to tackle with aggressiveness. And, you know, honestly, if, if I see a linebacker go out there and try to perfect form tackle someone behind the line of scrimmage, but then instead not wrap the guy up because he slips out, that's fine. 
What we mm-hmm. cannot see again is sort of waiting for the second guy to come and then letting them get extra yardage. If we have the opportunity to get a havoc play, we have to make that havoc play. We have to convert those. We have to. We're going to have to be. I don't want to say aggressive, but I'm just. We have to be not timid to win this game. Yeah. Defensively, you know, we have to. It's what I don't want to see is a team that is playing. I thought that a lot, in a lot of plays against Auburn the first time, we were playing really good football all the way to the tackle. You know what I mean? We have to do better. Mm-hmm. We have to do a better job tackling here. We've talked about what we need to see. We've talked about what we need to do, what needs to improve in this game um, that didn't happen last time. So now I want to talk about. I want. I, I want to give you. I want to do our predictions. First, another big issue that we definitely got to talk about when we're talking about this game is what is on Johnson going to look like? Um, mm-hmm. Johnson had a basically pretty weird looking no contact shoulder injury where he just fell down. He went back. This is in the iron bowl. He went back to the tent. He got a shot in it. He came back out or he hurt his shoulder. He got a shot. He came back out and then he took the ball and basically raised his arm to sort of stiff arm a defender and then just fell down in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Um there have been rumors that he has a broken clavicle. That's probably not true, but there's been rumors no. that he has a pinched nerve. There's been rumors that he has a sprain, that he has a C, uh, CJ or whatever the joint is in your shoulder um, injury. There's been all sorts of rumors. All we know is that Malzahn describes him as day-to-day. I think that it is safe to assume that while Carrion Johnson will not, he may not, he will probably play, but I think it is safe to assume that he will not be 100%. And I think he will not be that, the carry on Johnson we saw in the last game. Yeah, and I and I think that's really relevant to point out because I think that sort of any any prognostication that we do about that game about this game has to take that into account because I think if yeah. this if these two teams are kind of on an even field with everybody healthy, we have a much different game. But hey, if 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 right. So let's talk about some over unders though. Before we go into over unders, let's we can even talk about carry on Johnson and and the fact that there are two main weapons for this Auburn offense. Yeah. And we know them well because they beat us very well. Yeah. Um, Jared Stidham, which is Drew Brees 2.0. Right. And Carrion Johnson at 75%. Yeah. I think that in these last few games, our cornerbacks have gotten really well. Or they've gotten really good at what they do. And it seems like teams have known, but haven't been able to execute it well enough other than Auburn, that if you beat, the way to beat Georgia is to stop their run game one and then throw to the corners, which is what Auburn did. That's right. basically what they did the whole time. Well, yeah. I mean, and throw to the corners on islands i think is the key i mean we yeah. never had safety ta- they were running so well we never had safety help right and so mm-hmm. stidham just sliced us up because everybody was just on an island back there exactly so if carry on johnson's at 75 percent, we can hold him a lot better than we did last time if we're not even blitzing just keeping him where he needs to be and like you said he's not getting four yards on every stinking play then we will most likely be okay it won't give jared stidham as many options there won't be as much utility in his playbook he'll have to play play by play there won't be as much of a game plan for the entire game as there will be for what do i need to do right now to get ahead and i think that's where we want them to be yeah because i mean so gus nelson's offense is sort of predicated on what they do is they have a run pass option so if you're not familiar run pass option which you probably are but if you're not a run pass option is where the quarterback takes the snap and then turns and puts and reaches the ball out as though he is going to give the ball to the running back. In that moment, he reads a key. And now this key could be where is the linebacker, this key could be where is the defensive tackle doing, what is the safety doing, whatever. And then he either pulls the ball back in and throws it, or runs, or he mm-hmm. hands the ball off. So what what Auburn's defense is, they have a run-pass option, but instead of the quarterback running, they have a jet sweep. So basically what happens on a lot of their plays is there's a pre-snap motion of a jet sweep. At the snap, 
the quarterback can either hand the ball off, give the ball to the jet sweep, or throw, right? So I think sort of statistic or uh, strategically, right, the way that on Johnson's limited nature would uh, change the game is that suddenly you've got basically what is a triple option offense uh, with only two options, right? It's a lot easier to defend either Jared Stidham uh, throwing or Eli Stove on the on the jet sweep than it is to defend both of those on top of on Johnson getting three or four yards of carry, right? So that's, that's going to be a very important thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, just defending that little triple, or it's not the triple option, but defending that option play the way they run it is going to be one of the most important things that we can do in this game. Absolutely. One more thing before we get into our over-unders. I keep on yeah. pushing you back. I know it. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. But it's um, fine. there's another tidbit of news that came out yesterday that Christian Payne has become questionable for the game, and it's yeah. looking like he may not be there. Yeah. And we've only touched on Christian Payne a little bit, and I think it was earlier in the season. Pain train. The pain train, man. I. It's... He has a very good case that he may be one of the better blockers on the team, I think. And yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm nervous to see what the game looks like without him. I think it will look a lot more like this past game against Georgia Tech where we had, for instance, Chubb and Michelle both on the field at the same time in shotgun formation and yeah. using them for whatever we can and just scrambling a lot more in the backfield or using... Do we have a... Who is even our fullback backup? I don't even know who it is. I just have the pain train, man. Might yeah, I don't, I don't even know if we have a backup fullback. We, we might, might not even have a true fullback. We some years we don't even have a fullback. Yeah. So who knows? He's, he's um, the best. I think he's the best fullback we've had since exactly uh, Quavon Hicks. <laughs> no, Quavon Hicks. Oh, okay, was, there you was go. Pretty good. Quavon Hicks um, was good. But yeah, I'm I'm nervous to see if he he plays or not, especially since he's a senior. You know, that's that's not fun. That's got to hurt as a senior going into the SEC championship. He hasn't seen this is his only chance, and he's not had one since he's been a bulldog. So. I hope he goes. I know he'll be there. I'm sure. But yeah, he'll I hope be there he regardless. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, I don't know how much of an impact it's going to have schematically, just because, like I said, I don't think you can plan to get into the I set and run. But I mean, on on third and short, he has been a weapon. The quick fullback yeah, handoff mm-hmm. on third and short has been a really good thing for us. Hey, so, do you yeah, want to hear? We'll do you want to hear some breaking news? Breaking news. Yeah, breaking news. Yeah. As in, this came out 19 minutes ago. <laughs> no seriously it? okay apparently since august former Ole miss coach hugh freeze has been helping uga scheme as a as like a consultant really yeah huh that's pretty crazy right that is pretty crazy in what way like what capacity apparently they sent him a laptop and he's been like giving input on the offensive game plan huh thank you hugh yeah you know, there's going to be... Let me just cut this off at the pass because this is only a 20-minute old report, so I'm just going to predict the future. You ready? Yeah. So what's going to happen is that um, everybody in the national media and a bunch of older probably should go to church instead of going to football games. Georgia fans are going to get huh. real, real, real holier than now about this and I'll do a lot of tut-tutting. <laughs> um, but what I think is I don't care because I like to win. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very into the winning thing. I don't and care maybe, who's telling us how to win. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's it might be amoral of me, but um, I kind of feel about college football a little bit similarly to how I feel about politics. Um, it's not really a secret to those around me that I'm a Democrat, and I kind of wish sometimes that the Democrats would just be as dirty, uh, because if you're an SEC fan, as the Repo- uh, Republicans, because if you're an SEC fan and a Democrat, it's like, if we ain't cheating, we ain't trying, homies, so let's like let's get in there. <laughs> let's like stage a coup. Let's assassinate somebody. Let's go. So I'm fine. Like, bring, bring all you in. Like, whatever. Everybody cheats every 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 everybody cheats everybody cheats seriously like you heard it, it now it, it was an aberration this is how much everybody cheats 
oh, it's a pretty well-known fact around Georgia's program that Mark Richt ran off a lot of the kind of big money boosters. Well, not even boosters, but ran off a lot of the bag men when he was here. Uh, that's mm. that's not really. I don't think I'm really giving anything away. Like yeah. that that has been a rumor for a long time, and I can tell you, like, categorically, that that is true. That everyone cheats to the point that the fact that that was happening was kind of like a a source of wonder for the rest of the college football world inside athletic departments around the nation. Like I know for a fact that that is true. That's how huh. much everyone cheats. When Mark Richt told the, when Mark Richt basically told the bagman, not only do I not, unof- I d- not only do I not officially sanction you, if I find out that you're around my program, I will send you to jail. Uh, it was actually considered to be something of like a, a pretty big moment. It's pretty so, incredible. Yeah. Everyone cheats. Sorry. So getting back on track. I don't know where even where we're going <laughs> to, I don't know where we're going to put that. I just I don't either. I think it's interesting. Let's move into over-unders, though. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about over-unders. So first over-under I got you is um, carry on John- over-under 17 carry-on Johnson carries. He is averaging 32 on the season. So that would put yeah, him right yeah, at. But just to, so I'm basically asking, asking, is he going to be above or below half his normal carries? Um, I still think he's going to be over uh, because we've already said between the two of us that he's a 75% carry-on Johnson if he's... He's sitting at 75% carry on Johnson. He's looking more at like 24 carries. And I think he is a huge part of this offense and why it does so well, giving Jared Stenham a little bit of a break. Um, and I think what you were talking about earlier, the, the what do you call it? The the pass run def- or offense? Or the run pass. Run pass run option. Run pass offense. So the run pass option. Yeah, exactly. So with that in mind, um, that's based on what he sees in the field, of course. And so based on what he sees from us, our game plan Obviously, with that game plan, Kieran Johnson's running a lot more. And so yeah. I think that he'll probably run more than half unless he gets hurt, which there's a good chance he could get hurt and have to go down. He went down twice in the last game. So right uh, last week, that is against Alabama. And we're going to hit just as hard, if not harder than Alabama did. I yeah, I think over, but not much. Not yeah. by a lot. I think I think I right think, around that 20. I think like 20. I think like 20 is which is fine is, with me. Yeah, I mean, I think if we hold him to 20 carries and he's getting four or five yards a carry, that's still, that's, you know, that's a lot, but it's not like, I don't know, that's not going to kill us. That's less than his average. He's averaging around 125, I think, on the season, every game. So And so, if he can if we can hold him under 100 yards, I am okay with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, My first over-under has to do with carry on Johnson as well. It okay. was over-under 3.2 yards per carry. Hmm... That's under his average for the year, right? Mm-hmm. So it is. You know what? I'm gonna say under. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not really saying. That's not me saying anything about UGA's defense. I just think that. I. I okay, so if you, I haven't played football since like, ever. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've played a little <laughs> bit, but I, I I've played competitive football like five times. So uh, I I obviously I'm not I'm not claiming to know. I don't claim to know a lot of what happens in a football game physically to you to a person that plays. But I do know that if you're playing running back, it's pretty hard to protect your shoulder, right? I mean, oh yeah, I, I don't really think that's, that's like arguable. Yeah, so you got to drop I, the shoulder as a running back to dig in. I, I I think that he is an experienced kid. I think he can play without practicing. I don't think he necessarily has to be there for every single part of uh, the installation for you know to come in and get snaps. But I just cannot imagine that in the second or third quarter he doesn't have to at least be taken out of the game temporarily. Mm-hmm. And even if he even if he feels healthy the whole time, I can't imagine. I think he's going to be on a pitch count. If if Gus Malzahn is smart, they're going to put him on a pitch count because, I mean, 
how does it look? I keep in mind that Auburn has the craziest running of fan base in the world. And you know, you don't want to think about that as a coach, <laughs> but they are crazy. So They're how insane. does it Yeah, so how does it look if you run carry on Johnson 10 times in the first quarter and then he gets hurt and he's out for the rest of the game, right? If you're a smart coach, which I think by and large Gus Malzahn is, Mm -hmm. um, I think that you have got to put him on a pitch count per quarter. I think he's got to look at like, I'm thinking he's going to get like six carries a quarter and I, and I could see him getting shut down at the end of the, at the end of the first half easily. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's going to, you know, I mean, he's kind of been a workhorse back for them and I don't think that's going to be his role this time. I like it. So, do you want to do the next one? Yeah. So, um, I'm going to say over, under, let's call it, I want to to be careful about putting a specific number on this. Um, I want to say over, under, three sacks for Auburn's defense. Jake Fromm did get sacked four times in the last Auburn game. Yeah. So, we're going to do, I'm I'm basically asking we're going to do a better job. I think we're going to do a better job, but it's not going to be because our offensive line is necessarily doing a better job. I think our run game is actually going to get started this game, and we're going to see a lot more running. Um, I don't think Jake Fromm's going to throw it as many times as he did that last game, uh, especially since I believe we will get the run game started, and therefore our offense will get started. The run game is like the, the fuel for the engine. If the run game is established, then the rest of the offense follows behind. Jake Fromm gets like 12 passes, he has a great completion rating, and we do all right. Um but if the run doesn't get started, we have a game like last Auburn. Um, with that in mind, I think we're going to have less sacks because Jake Fromm won't be sitting in the pocket as long. And so I'm going to say under. Yeah, I'm going to say under too, just because I think that we are going to throw more on first and second down. Um, yeah. And I think that it that lends itself um, that that lends itself to uh, just. Uh, fewer sacks even if they're even even if I, th- I could see us losing this game and jake Fromm not being su- very successful and still only getting sacked twice basically let me put it that way i think that's totally fine that's plenty reasonable um so my over under for this next one is actually having to do with sacks but more with jared stidham um over under three and a half sacks on jared stidham oh okay let me think under and i actually think we might get him three times uh-huh. And I think that's because if you limit carry on Johnson's effectiveness, Jim yeah. has to throw more, but I cannot see four. I really want four. I really want so, uh, man, I just, Clemson game for me will go down in my memory as the most ridiculous amount yeah. of sacks ever. I mean, we don't have the same talent that Clemson does on the defensive line. We don't, and, I know. And they are much better they are they they are much better this time at um they are much better at this point at, you know, playing as as a unit for their their offensive line. Yeah, they have a lot more age and experience in their, their line. Um, I do think it's still going to be over. I think it's going to be more than three and a half sacks. I think it's it might be four, just because I do think that Carrion Johnson's success is going to be limited this game. I think he's going to rush a lot less. They're going to have to rely on Jared Stidham. And one, that's a scary thought for me because I think he's a wonderful quarterback and I think he's going to do great things uh, yeah. in his career. So I am I a little that, afraid. I hate that those words came out of your mouth and I exhausted I know. And I- and you agreed with me. <laughs> I agreed with you, but here it's we true. are. We're stats, stats heads, man. You gotta, you gotta yeah, look at the yeah. facts. He's yeah. a good quarterback, and and I'm really hoping that we, just as much as we're looking at the offensive playbook, we're gonna open up the defensive playbook as well, and we're gonna see a few different things we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I hope that relying on Jared Stidham makes their offense a bit more predictable. Is all I'm hoping for. 
what else you got? You got any more? Um, I think those were my only two. So yeah, I, I'm good. All right. Uh, so you ready? Let me no, give you a, a silly over under. Yeah, give it to me. <laughs> um, it's really just a question. How many times I, I really, so this question comes from Gus Malzahn challenging that, that play late in the game when uh-huh. his team was up 30 points in the last uh-huh. game. Do you think there will be any moment when the camera pans over to Kirby Smart because he's so proud of something that just happened or something he did specifically to where he has a moment to where he looks over at Gus Malzahn and just mouths something or looks at him just with the most piercing, burning gaze not, that we not, all feel it? Nothing at all? You don't nah, think so? son. Nah. See, that, that, that ain't Kirby <laughs> Smart. Because, see, here's the thing Kirby Smart understands. And and this is something that I really respect about him, by the way. And uh-huh. this is something that, like, this is going to come off like a joke, but, like, I actually mean it. And it's something that's a lesson that has been hard, hard, hard more, uh, learned for me in the classroom. And that is, like, if you really want to blow someone up, like, you really want to make sure they know that you just shut them down. Like, the thing you do is you very casually blow them up and then you act like it's no big deal. Because <laughs> that's that's actually worse than being like yeah you like that yeah you suck nah 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 it's way easier like if if i have a student who's really really being unruly and i need to get him to stop or her to stop what they're doing because it's distracting the class or because it's starting to become like a safety issue what i usually will do is just like very casually just be like yeah if we have to talk about this again like we're just gonna go to the sro and then i'm just like real quiet and i just wait it out yeah so you don't want to yeah you definitely don't want to um I, I think it's like more of a boss move to just kind of like play it cool. And I'm pretty sure that's what he's going to do. I mean, okay. like you and, and I actually think I have a little bit of evidence for that. I mean, look what, look what we did after the tech game last year, tech one, they tore our hedges up. They tore up the field. Mm-hmm. They were just, they generally just made fools of themselves for about 15 minutes after the game this year, after we beat tech, nah, just like Jake Fromm got out there and led a, a, a prayer after the game. And then they walked around and high five the fans and then left. Yep. Class <laughs> acts. Like, well, it's not, I, I, you know, everybody says that. I don't even think it's class. I think it's actually like no. kind of a, mo- it's a motivational tool where like, yeah. it's, it's really motivating if you can tell someone like, Hey, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to beat the tar out of them so much. And you're just going to walk out of there. Like, that's what you meant to do. Like mm-hmm. you were destined to win this game. And when you win, you're going to act like it. Like that's, if you really want to embarrass someone that like, remember how it felt to lose 38 to 10 to Alabama in 2015. That's mm-hmm. what they did. That's absolutely what they did. That is true. I'm okay with this thing. Cool. Let's move into predictions. Yeah. Okay. So before you give your your prediction, uh, before we get into your prediction, what I'm going to do, and I did this last time, I'm going to I'm going to go through a thought exercise, and I'm going to do this <laughs> sort of in the tradition, in the grand tradition of philosophers everywhere. I'm not a philosopher, but I'm pretty sure I understand how logical thought works. So you play one on TV. Yeah, I play one. Eh, no, I don't even want to say that. I hate philosophy. Anyway, so um, <laughs> it's just so boring. And it's like, I don't care. I don't care what the meaning of life is. I just want to read books. Anyway, so what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to try to establish a prediction for this game based on a bunch of pretty easily provable logical statements. I'm going to construct a bunch of suppositions that get us into a, a situation wherein we can make a prediction about the final outcome of the game. And I'm going to use these logical statements to create a picture of how I think the game is going to go based on just some very basic data that we can have. Okay, so let's uh-huh. start. All right, so if we look at the first game, 
So there's this stat. There's a very important stat, and a lot of what I'm about to do is based on this stat. There's a very important stat called uh, percentile performance. And so yep. what percentile performance does is it measures how well you played compared to an average team at your rank. Okay, so it's basically a measure of, like, how well are you playing based on how good you as you know in terms of how good you are right so a bad team can play a 99th percentile game and not beat a really good team if that makes sense right yeah so uh last game uga had a 21 offensive percentile performance and a 20 defensive percentile performance and an overall 15 percentile performance 15 percent. okay mm-hmm. so like that is an aberrant game in terms of performance now you know we cannot we can't filter out all of the noise in that number because a lot of that's because Auburn just was playing very well, but we can make some suppositions about what that number means, I think. Okay, so you start with this. The average percentile performance that UJ has had this year is in the high 70s, low 80s. I haven't actually worked it out, but it's it's actually it's a pretty it's good pretty, like we're it's pretty we close down, yeah if we go from yeah if we if we go to from the start of the year we're at 86 73 90 94 94 91 80 92 92 15 and then 91 95 so yeah. you can see that our average is probably somewhere in the low 80s high 70s okay so yeah. let's just let's just assume let's start by assuming that you know if you just take the opponent out of it that uga plays an average level of game so what does that look like well i think it looks like uh, a few fewer penalties it probably looks like a couple of those balls getting caught that weren't. And then it just looks like probably just a better game plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's start with that. So UGA plays an average game. Let's let's go to my next point. One of the things that we know about turnovers is that turnovers are basically random. Now, forcing turnovers are not random, but the number of turnovers that you recover are random, right? So yeah. in that last game, UGA had two turnovers, right? And they lost both of them. Um, so let's assume for the, let's assume that we don't, let's assume we get one back. So let's assume that, um, m- you know, Mount McColl muffs a punt and then he gets it. All right. That gets us to a situation where if UGA just plays an average game and then McColl doesn't muff that punt, or maybe, um, you know, we don't get the, we don't get the penalty for going over the wall mm-hmm. again, on, on the punt before that. So let's just assume that those two things happen. I already think you can get this game about 14 points closer just from those two. I think you can probably give UGA one more touchdown if McColl doesn't muff that punt, and you can probably take away an Auburn touchdown if Auburn doesn't get that penalty on the shield play. All right, so... I would say it easily gives us three more scoring opportunities. Well, hold on. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Okay. So so that gets us to, what, 33 to 24, okay? Mm -hmm. So suddenly we're looking at a, what, an 11-point game? Mm -hmm. Now, so... I think that, you know, most of the times, if you play that game 10 times, Auburn probably wins at eight of them. But I think the average score is probably way closer to about a 10-point game. All right. So next logical supposition. A couple of, couple of just, like, factual statements we can make. Well, one factual and one that is a little bit conjecture, but not much. Um, we're playing in front of a neutral crowd. This will be at the worst a 50-50 split. And a lot of what I've heard in terms of the trends in the markets is that we're probably going to look at like 60-40 UGA. Okay. So yep. what does that mean? I think it, it I don't I don't necessarily think we can take anything from saying that Auburn will play poorly from that, but I do think we can say that it does give us a slight advantage over on the offensive line in the sense that um our offensive line is not that good, but they weren't even able to really snap the ball together because it was so loud. So I think yep. it gives us a little bit of, it gives us a little few it gives us a few percentile points back in the line of on the line of scrimmage on both sides. All right. So that that's just like these so far 
if you're following at home. These are all just like factual statements. <laughs> See, like what I'm attempting to do, and the reason I keep saying that is I want to point out that like we can kind of create a scenario of where this game is going to be towards the end of the game, and then we can go from there. All right. So mm-hmm. um, we assume UGA plays an average game. We assume UGA gets like half the breaks. Then we assume that we're we, we don't have to assume this. We know that UGA is not going to be playing as in hostile of an environment as Jordan Harris. Okay. Yeah. So then we think about carry on Johnson. So let's assume that instead of being like one of the best backs in the sec, that carry on Johnson is just an okay back. Let's say he has something like 20 carries for a hundred yards and like what are one, one touchdown, maybe two, one touch. I would say like, let's assume he just has like one touchdown, 120 yards, like three point something yards per carry. Right. Yeah. Pretty average day. And let's assume too, that, you know, he may while he may not be out for any of the game for uh injury purposes that he is pitch limited right so uh, mm-hmm. there are big stretches of the game where he's just not playing okay so i think you can say you could probably move the game another seven points right at that point so like so we got we just got ourselves to 33 24 so let's take seven points and that gives us to that gets us to 24 26 auburn all right here is the question that I would ask. And I think here's the key question for prognosticating this game. If it is in the fourth quarter and it is 24-26 Auburn and we're in a neutral site and UGA is playing an average game and you can get carry on Johnson if your Gus Miles on, but he's probably not at 100%, who wins that game? And I think to answer that question, you really have to answer two questions. One, who matters more, right? Which of these two matchups matters more? Jared Stidham versus Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, or mm-hmm. Kirby Smart versus um, Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn. That's that's the that's the ball game right there. Who and what you f- should be saying is the smart Malzahn face off. I feel. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right because okay, so let me let me tell you why I I agree, and let me tell you why because I think that on average that Stidham is very good. He's a better quarterback than Fromm. He might probably the best quarterback in one of the best quarterbacks in the, in the entire conference this year. Mm-hmm. I think that the Stidham versus Nick and Sony matchup is sort of a wash, right? You could see a game where Stidham did better than those two combined. You could see a game where those two combined did better than Stidham. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Gus Malzahn is a very good experienced head coach. Um, I'm actually more thinking about him as the architect of an offense, because if Gus Malzahn comes with his a game i think it's kind of a toss-up between him and kirby smart but gus malzahn has a much longer track record of not bringing his a game to big games than kirby smart does right i mean mm-hmm. gus malzahn basically had to fire rhett lashley last year because he's such an autocrat and he just kind of ran the same four plays into the ground in big games gus malzahn has a long history mm-hmm. of when the game gets tight going back to the same through four plays and not being very creative so I think if you're asking, like, mm-hmm. who has the greater chance to gain an advantage, it's definitely Kirby Smart, right? Yeah, Kirby Smart's won seven SEC championships. Yeah. As the offensive coordinator for Alabama. Or defensive, defensive coordinator. Excuse defensive. me, defensive coordinator. Yeah, so that's the question. So so the question is, you you, you, you get in your mind's eye. It's, yeah, so you're going to have a lot. It's on CBS, and you're going to have a lot of commercial breaks. So we're talking, like, it's seven right on saturday (laughs) and Uh we're sitting there and let's say that auburn has the ball up four now let's say you know what let's make this more interesting georgia has the ball down four start of the fourth quarter krypton plays auburn does whatever stupid thing they do at the beginning of the fourth quarter (laughs) georgia has the ball at the 25 who wins this game 
That's I think that's the question because I think I think that what we have to do as Georgia fans is we have to take our sort of weird Georgia cynicism out of this. It is very easy to be UGA nihilist when you're thinking about this game, right? It's very easy to just be like, nope, we're going to lose this game because that's what Georgia does. And yeah, maybe that might be true, but that's not a helpful way to think about things logically. So I think what you have to do is you have to think, all right, what is the most likely three quarters outcome for this game? How does this game look after three quarters? And Mm -hmm. I think we can build out pretty quickly how this game looks without even really talking about matchups, right? If we just assume, if we just assume that this game is is an average game between these two teams on this day, I think we can get it to a four point game for Auburn in the fourth quarter. So then the question is who wins this game? Having said all of that, let's make some picks. Yeah. I mean, with all that in mind, it's, it's really important to understand how they got there. How did Auburn get to that point? How did the Auburn, get to a point where they're only four points ahead of us and how do they keep that lead and i mm-hmm. i think it comes from carry on johnson playing as hard as he does but in the fourth quarter at 75 percent and not feeling well you're gonna be you're gonna be tired you're gonna be gassed you're gonna need jared stedham to to push him ahead because what happens in the fourth quarter when you're already ahead you keep running the ball and it's not going to be carry on johnson that's going to be running the ball yeah. every single play yeah it's not he can't so he's going to be throwing passes to the sidelines he's going to be throwing running to cam martin yeah yeah, and he's going to be trying to, to hand it off to Cam Martin, and he's going to be trying to get first downs. And I don't think it's going to be that easy for this Auburn de- offense to get first downs this time around. It's yeah, not I mean, going to be that simple. Yeah, I mean, let, let, let's think about it this way. Like, what is the chance in – you got 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. What percentage chance does Carrion Johnson have of playing in that fourth quarter? It's. I mean, I think it's above 50, but is it above 80? Is it above eighty five? There's no way. No. Is it above ninety? I mean, I can't. I mean, I think he's got a more more than decent chance. I think he has a more than seventy five percent chance of making it all the way through this game. Yeah. But in a game where you can be a hundred percent healthy and break your leg on one play, it doesn't seem safe to assume, you know, that that's going to be the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, with all that in mind, if they're relying on Jarrett Stidham to bring them to victory, and the game is that close, and they're relying truly and purely on Jared Stidham I pick Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle to make that last drive for me every time I think that those two in conjunction with Jake Fromm passing the ball around moving it along I think that that is going to be a very efficient drive uh nine times out of ten and especially with that much pressure left on them um yeah I mean like in the last in, in the fourth quarter in the last few minutes of the game I, I think that that is how that ends I think that at the very least they get in field goal range and Rodrigo, you know, kicks his last field goal in the last SEC championship he's ever going to be in as a senior. And it comes back as a Georgia game 20, you know, and I almost just threw out a prediction, which I I might as well, I guess. I think that this is going to come away a really close game, an incredibly close game. But I, I want to believe that that story is going to be made into a movie. And (laughs) um, I think that UGA comes away from this game, like, 27 26 because okay. of that okay yeah i think that's i think my actually reasonable. original prediction may have been a little bit different but yeah no, I don't but remember. i i mean <laughs> you i think you predicted us with a win but you had more points but i i think that's a really good prediction yeah okay so i agree um i think you know when you're talking about if you if the question is like gun to your head like if you if one of these teams if you're in the fourth quarter and one of these teams is playing the other and you have to pick one to like play for your life if you have to choose between hobbled carry on johnson and stidham or from and michelle and chubb like you're probably picking from and michelle and chubb so yeah but what i really think is like what i'm gonna lean on is what i what i always lean on i'm gonna lean on stats so 
Um, I, what I want to specifically point out is what what uh, stats, stats god Bill Connolly said about this game. And I'm not going to give you a direct quote, mm. but what he, <laughs> what he basically said was his numbers are um, his quotes, Nathan. Yeah, really. But he had a he had he had a he had a couple of paragraphs about this game um, a couple of days ago, and what he said was currently S and P plus gives Georgia a fifty three percent chance of winning this game. This is basically a cost up, but it leans slightly Georgia, and um, it gives Georgia like a one or two point win. And what he said is, you know, um, S and P plus is blind to uh, who is who has the momentum. S and P plus looks at the whole year. So what they look at is even though Auburn beat Georgia badly, Georgia in the rest of its games has played significantly better against Auburn. And when it, when you equalize out the competition. Hmm. And I think that that is not an irrelevant point because I think that there are a lot of reasons that Georgia could lose this game. Not the least of which is that Auburn's a very hot team, but I think that it would be full just as it would be foolish to be, super confident in Georgia in this moment, it would also be foolish to assume that Auburn's going to beat this team by 23 points twice. Right. And I think if you can, if I think even the hardest diehard Auburn partisan can admit that it is unlikely that Auburn does to Georgia what they did last time. Right. I think even the craziest orange paintedist war eagleist uh, <laughs> Auburn fan that ever confused tigers and plainsmen when they got drunk could totally admit that this game is going to be closer than last time. And if you can just admit that, I think you can get you. I think that like you can build off of that, right? So like, let's say that instead of a twenty-point game, like I said before, let's say this is not even a four-point game. Let's say this is a six-point game, right, in the fourth quarter. Is it outside of the realm of possibility that UGA can get a stop against this offense as it is currently constructed, and that it can put a drive on on against this defense as it's currently constructed? Now, the first one might be easier to do than the second but I don't think that that's that unreasonable. And I also just don't think, you know, I, I think if carry on Johnson was a hundred percent, I would probably say this would be a five to six point Auburn win. So if I'm coming at this from like the opposite direction, I would say like, well, then how many points does carry on Johnson give them? And I think a healthy carry on Johnson might give them an additional six points, mm-hmm. maybe an additional touchdown. So I, I think I'm going to agree. I'm going to say, I think, 27 24 uga and i think the reason for that is that we are going to make them settle for a field goal when they don't want to Mm -hmm. i could see them driving in the third quarter and it's like 21 20 or something or 20 yeah i can see it being 21 20 in the third quarter they're driving and they have to settle for a field goal because carry on johnson's resting and then we score the game winning touchdown in the fourth that's that's kind of how i think it's going to go i'm not saying it would surprise me if we lost but i'm saying that you if you expect this to be a blowout either way you are foolish equally on either side this has been chapel bell curve you can find us on itunes google play and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast you can get in touch with us on facebook by searching chapel bell curve by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com and on twitter and instagram at chapel bell curve also go check out our website chapelbellcurve.com it's a great hub for all of our new content blog posts episodes twitter feeds anything we could find relevant throughout the week Hey, shout out to Ryan Clark one more time just for hanging out in my stead while I was getting my wisdom teeth removed. That was really fantastic, and I hope you guys enjoyed him being on the show. I'm sure he'll be back in some capacity someday soon. And Mook, I know you're listening, and so I know I just want to say I'm I'm sure we'll get you in the show one day soon as well. But anyway, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating and a review. It actually helps us a lot, kind of show people the podcast. It 
according to iTunes, crazy algorithm gets us noticed by all kinds of folks. We actually read those on air. So if you'd like to say something about the podcast, good or bad, we will say that and give you the recognition you deserve. But anyway, until next week, we will catch you in Mercedes-Benz Stadium and in the Classic City. And until then, go dogs. Yeah. I like driving in my truck. He likes to drive in his truck. Auburn sucks. Auburn sucks. I like driving in my truck. He likes to drive in his truck. Uh, Auburn sucks. Auburn sucks. I like trucks. He likes trucks. I don't, uh, I don't care for Auburn. He doesn't.